Matthew chapter 5. Let's, let's go ahead and just read through the Beatitudes starting in the, um, verse 1 of Matthew. And we'll read through 7 just to give us a reminder of where we've been in these Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the, mount, on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And for today, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. Lord God, as we open up your word and seek things that are above, seek things that are, that are from you, we pray And ask for the guidance of your spirit, for we know that your spirit searches the depths of you and communicate to us through Jesus Christ, by the power of the spirit, your will, your mind, your ways, in order, Lord, that we might exalt and praise you and become more godly, become more like Christ. That's his name we pray. Amen. So, um, yeah, Shepherd. Last week we did, we looked at blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we defined righteousness last week kind of in a two-parter. One, righteousness is the character of God, Right? It is what we would say God is. He is righteous. God is good. We quoted uh, 1 John, where John says it in this way, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. God is righteous. Uh, Then we looked at the second half of that definition of saying that in Entering into the kingdom of heaven to stand in the presence of God for all eternity to be uh, to be counted as righteous to be considered righteous, we are judged by that standard of God's righteousness. Righteousness is the required standard or measure into the kingdom of heaven. We had the illustration of if you go to the fair and you want to get on a ride, you've got to be this tall. If you're not this tall, you don't get to ride. Well, the righteous standard of God is if you're not this righteous, you don't get in. But we also came to find out that if that's the case, we're all in trouble, right? But we enter in the kingdom of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ on the basis of his righteous life and of his sacrifice, his atoning death. And so... Being in Christ, we get to be counted righteous, and those who are counted righteous, 
we saw are going to hunger and thirst for more of righteousness, which just simply means they're going to hunger and thirst to be more like Jesus and to know Him more, right? And this is really what defines a disciple of Jesus, to want to know Him more and want to be more like Him. That's a pretty straightforward definition. But there's a trap here with this idea of seeking, hungering, and thirsting for righteousness. And we kind of hit on it this morning a little bit when we talked about the Pharisees. Uh, This verse has been very much misapplied, not necessarily intentionally or directly, but indirectly. And it's called hypocrisy. Right? So... To hunger and thirst for righteousness without Christ would to be a hypocrite. And we'll talk, we're going to explain a little bit more about this as we go on. But to hunger and thirst for righteousness without seeking Christ leads to self-righteousness. Right? So to, be, to go after a standard of goodness without Christ, is going to lead you to think that you are good enough, and then it's going to lead to hypocrisy, right? And hypocrisy is then going to lead to holding a standard to others that you can't even keep. So here's why I think that the way Jesus brought these Beatitudes was very intentional, and he placed a counterbalance to the Beatitude of hunger and thirst for righteousness with the beatitude of those who are merciful. Right? So, consider again the Pharisees. They sought to be right. The leader of the Jews in Jesus' day and before his time, they wanted to be right on everything. And they told everyone they were right On everything. And when they saw someone who was not right, what did they do? They pointed it out. They did not show any mercy. They sought to be right and they looked to condemn. In Matthew, later in chapter 12, Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields and they're popping off the heads of the grains and they're eating them. Well, it's on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, who take the law to the uttermost and keep it and uphold it, they point at Jesus and say, you are sinning. You are breaking the Sabbath by plucking the heads of the grain and eating them. We do not do anything on the Sabbath. And if you read the rest of Matthew 12, Jesus kind of puts them in their place. And then Jesus heals a man right then and there, and says, hmm, you're holding a standard, you're holding everyone accountable, but guess what? You're getting the point of it all wrong, completely. That's kind of like what we talked about this morning in Sunday school. Um, The Pharisees were quick to point out the unrighteousness of others. They had no mercy. They covered themselves with this fake, false righteousness. And they covered what was really 
dead wickedness inside of them. Someone who seeks righteousness but shows no mercy is showing that they are a whitewashed tomb. They cover themselves as beautiful as they can. They shine it all up. But on the inside, as Jesus told the Pharisees, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. On the outside, you appear beautiful. But within you, you are full of greed and self-indulgence. The biggest sign or the biggest red flag of self-righteousness, of hypocrisy, is a lack of mercy. Let me re-say that. The biggest sign or red flag of self-righteousness or hypocrisy is a lack of mercy. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in Christ not for the sake of their own righteousness, not for the sake of them receiving something, the fruit of that hunger and thirst for righteousness will manifest mercy towards others. It will. Now, what is mercy? We'll just simply say showing compassion, showing pity, right? That's kind of the standard English definition for mercy. But the biblical sense of it takes it a step further and it's showing mercy, it's showing compassion and pity on people who have not deserved it. Who aren't righteous, but yet a righteous God is showing compassion on an unrighteous person. This is Jesus Right? This is who Jesus is. Righteous. If anyone had the right to point a finger at someone's wrongdoing, it would have been Jesus, right? Because had he ever done any of that wrong? He had sought righteousness. He had hungered and thirsted for righteousness more than anyone, and he had fulfilled it, unlike anyone. But yet, he was the most merciful person that ever walked the earth. Quick example of this before we get into a couple things. John 4, we see this. You can turn with me if you'd like to John 4. And we are reminded of Jesus' encounter with a woman. And there's a lot to this story and a lot we can gain in understanding from this story, but there's one, what I want us to see today is the mercy of Jesus to the woman at the well in John 4. Keeping in mind who He is, God, Perfect, righteous, good. Verse 1 says, Now when Jesus heard the Pharisees and had heard that Jesus was making um, and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again from Galilee. And he went to pass through Samaria. 
So first off, this is a person who just in their uh, lineage where they live typically aren't shown mercy by Jews because they clash, they are enemies. And as he passed through Samaria, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph well aware, or Joseph's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so it's noon. Okay, verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for me, ask a drink from me, not only from Samaria, but a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So she's already got some strikes against her. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and what it was, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman in verse 11 said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and you have nothing uh, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So let's just make this understand. Let's just understand this before we read on. Jesus is offering to her eternal life, right? He's offering to her, a a Samaritan woman, eternal life. That's this, the uh, living water, not just H2O that she can drink, but living water that will give her eternal life. So verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it, from it himself. So this is her still talking to Jesus. As did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be, uh, whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So, just in God, Jesus, offering this woman eternal life, from the perspective of a Jew who's reading this, he's already being merciful. But the mercy continues. Look in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. She is a sinner. Unworthy, unworthy of Jesus. She's lying to his face, or at least giving him partial truth, which kids is a lie. 
So is he going to retract? Is he going to take away his offer for eternal life to this woman who is unfaithful? To this woman who is obviously probably not of good company within Samaria, within this town. No. He then goes on through the rest of this and does not take back his offer, does not take back his mercy. But as you see at the end, towards the end of this chapter, she believes. And she goes and she tells all of those in her town of the one who knew the things that she had done. She had received mercy from the most righteous man to ever walk the earth. So here we are, unrighteous people who have been shown mercy, but are we being merciful? Are we being merciful? So here's what we have to understand. And we'll look at this verse a little bit later. In Luke, there's another teaching of Jesus which mirrors the Sermon on the Mount. Some people call it the Sermon on the Plains because he's on a flat level, not on a mountain like he is in Matthew 5. And he says at the end of it, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. So here is what we must understand. We are called to be merciful. Now we can all agree on it. But the question is, is do you really? Do you really answer the call of being compassionate and having pity on those who do not deserve compassion and pity? Are you actually disputing the command to be merciful and trying to skirt around it? What we have to understand is that a disciple of Christ equals merciful. Disciple of Christ hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And a disciple of Christ lives a life of mercy towards others. Mercy isn't listed as a fruit of the Spirit, but I think it is. I know we can all quote the, the fruits of the Spirit. Mercy's not listed, but... I think it's a combination of a few of them together. Mercy is love, peace, kindness, patience, gentleness, and self-control. You want to be merciful without love? Let me know how that goes. You want to be merciful to someone without patience? Good luck. To be merciful is to love someone when they aren't being lovable. 
To be merciful is to be kind to someone who is not being kind to you. To be merciful is to be gentle when someone is not being gentle. Or to have self-control when you just want to let them have it. Mercy is a fruit of the Spirit. So, if the command is be merciful as your Heavenly Father is merciful, we're in trouble. We all are. But, here's good news. The mercy of God that we must show comes through Jesus Christ to us through the new birth by the Holy Spirit. The mercy of God through Jesus Christ is the root of our mercy. That's the first thing. And we'll look at that. The mercy of God through Jesus Christ is the root of our mercy. And second, the mercy of God through Jesus Christ is the example for us to follow. So first, the root. Where our mercy comes from, it comes from God. Do you, do you realize the magnitude of God's mercy? Uh, we're just going to dwell here for a second. You have to really consider this. The, mer- the magnitude. The bigness of God's mercy towards us today. Number one, you're breathing. God says you're welcome. We do not deserve our next breath. No human being walking has earned to take another breath. We live and have our being because of the mercy and kindness of God. We see it. We've seen it throughout our studies and in our Sunday school class of what our hearts truly desire outside of Christ, outside of being born again, what our hearts truly desire is self. Not God, not His righteousness, but our own selfish desires. You know, you think Israel. They're doing, the, they're doing the prayers. They're doing the harvest moons. They're doing the feasts. They're doing the sacrifices. But why? For themselves. But yet God is merciful to them. God is merciful to them. Psalm 4, and I'll just read this and just hear me out. I'm, excuse, I'm sorry, Psalm 5. As all people walk around in rebellion and wickedness, we remember that David says that God is not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies and abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Well, here we are. (laughs) We're still here yet to be destroyed, all mankind yet to be destroyed. 
That's mercy. But then we take it another step further. Not only are we all breathing today, but we've all come together for a purpose this morning. Because we are in Christ. We've come together because we have tasted the living waters. So we not only have been shown mercy by our life that we live, but the eternal life that we have received. That's even far more mercy. So we're heaping mercy upon mercy this morning. The magnitude of what God has done for us, His church. Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Got three quick passages to read to see the mercy of God for those who are in Christ. For those who have eternal life, what is the magnitude of God's mercy towards us? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Now, I'll try not to give commentary on these three verses. We'll just read them and let, let it be. Considering the mercy of God. Considering the righteousness of God and our unrighteousness. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And the Corinthians are like, I'm glad I wasn't in that list. But in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. The magnitude of the mercy of God. That the people that do not inherit the kingdom of God sit under the reading of this letter who have in fact inherited the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you. But that's the, if you want to know mercy, you see the, the B-U-T's in scripture, the buts. The but gods. That's where the mercy lies. But God. But you were washed. And you were sanctified. And you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the spirit of God. This is the mercy of God. Titus chapter 3. Turn to the right. Past Thessalonians, past Timothy, all the way to Titus. If you see Hebrews, you've gone too far. Titus chapter 3. We read this just a few weeks ago. Titus 3 and verse 3. For we ourselves were, we were once foolish, Disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, 
passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, the new birth, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, what have you, you have not done anything to justify salvation, to be righteous, but being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is mercy. Now, I'll just go home and read again Ephesians 2. We've been in it over and over again. You see in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3 that we are a people who are following the world, following the prince of the power of the air, following the, the lust and desires of our own flesh and condemned and uh, under wrath like the rest of man? But how does verse 4 begin? What word do you think it begins with? But. But. By the mercy of God. According to the great love with which He loved us. But. By the mercy of God. According to the great love with which he loved us. So there you see the origin of God's mercy, which we talked about this morning in Sunday school class. What is the origin of God's mercy? His great love with which He loved us. What a beautiful sentence. His great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins. The mercy of God out of the love of God. Do you know this love? Do you know the love of God? Can you look back at your life and say, oh, Look at what I was. And say, look what Christ has done. And now look at what I am. Those who know the love of God can look back and see what they once were who they once were and know that they are something completely different because everyone who is in Christ is a new creation and they know that that difference, that new place, that new being is simply because of what Christ has done. The love of God poured out on us, His mercy shown towards us through the righteous life and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Oh, what I was, but now what God is making me is an act of mercy. 
If you know that love, what is your response? Well, first and foremost, to praise Him. To give thank, to live a life of thankfulness. To rejoice. But the point of our beatitude is to live a life of mercy. If you know the magnitude of mercy, the mercies of God towards you through Jesus Christ, and you walk out these doors and live the rest of your days and hours lacking mercy and compassion to those who are, don't deserve it, I question the beginning of that sentence. That you do know the mercies of God through Jesus Christ. Mimic Jesus if you know this love. Seek to be compassionate, to live a life of mercy towards those who do not show that they deserve it. Because guess what? Never did you ever once deserve the mercies of God. Praise be to God. He has been merciful to us. Now, if you do not know this love, um, Psalm 5, which I read, which talked about God's hatred towards the sinner. There's hope. There's hope in Psalm 5. Let me read it again. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Hopeless. But here, how do you think verse 7 starts? But. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. If you do not know the love of God through Jesus Christ, if you have not tasted his mercies, there is room in his house. And today is the day to enter through the abundance of his steadfast love. And when you enter, you will be saved. Paul wrote, For I delivered to you what is of first importance. First importance. That Christ died according to the scriptures. For what purpose? For our sin. And that according to the scripture, he died, was buried, he was raised on the third day. He shown himself to numerous, countless people after his resurrection. And they bring the gospel to us today. And it says to believe in Jesus Christ who suffered and died for the sake of your sin. He did not stay in the grave, but he rose from the dead in order that you might be raised from the dead as well. The mercy of God. Brother Dan read Psalm 78 this morning. Uh, 
I'm so glad he did because I I didn't see it as I prepared. Psalm 78 speaks of the hypocrisy, the lack of understanding of the, in the heart. Psalm 78:35 he says they remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer, but they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. So here's the here's the thing. If you've come in today in hypocrisy, if you've come in today seeking your own righteousness for your own good, it's not that there's no hope. Because in verse 38, yet he being compassionate atoned for their iniquity. Even in their wickedness and hypocrisy and shallowness of heart, being compassionate, yet he atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. Flee to Christ today for the mercies of God. Believe in him, be saved, be baptized. Follow after Christ. For there is no other hope. I got in trouble last week. By Sylvia. Because I spent too much setting up the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, I've done the same today. I haven't really got to the be merciful part. Uh, but I want us to finish. I want us to conclude this morning and come back tonight and look at what it means to be merciful. But before we leave, I want you to know that if you've walked in these doors unrighteous, without hope, condemned the mercy of God is new and fresh today for anyone who believes and he will not turn away he's calling you And when he calls his sheep, they hear his voice. And when they hear, they come. So I pray today that you do not harden your heart as they did in the wilderness, but that you believe that you know the love of God and the mercy of that he has shown through Jesus Christ to all who believe. So let us finish there. Do not harden your heart today. Turn to Christ and be saved. And tell the world through baptism and show that you have been made new.
through Christ. Let's pray.